Before we get to today's episode, I want to ask you guys for a big favor. If you could leave a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast, Apple, Spotify, anywhere else, it goes a long way. It helps other people find the show and it lets us know that we're doing something right. Okay, let's get to today's episode. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. Today, John's on the other side of the mic. This is an interview he did on the Traction podcast in May 2023. Brands of yesterday were built on what they told the world about themselves. Brands of the future will be built on what the community says about them. If you build a community, you will not be a commodity. Today, we have John David, CEO of Influicity, an agency that helps brands build customer communities and truly own their audiences. This leads to massive attention and demand, which also translates into revenue. John recently launched DemandScope, an agency that helps entrepreneurs and execs like you and me build and scale their own personal communities, which I'm excited to hear about. John also shares his insights on entrepreneurship and business across social media, email, and on his podcast, Making It with John Davids. Welcome to Traction, John. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And it is so good to be here, Lloyd. The man, the myth, the legend. Uh, I got to tell you, and I I didn't mention this before, but when I was starting my last company, 2015-16, I would see ads for traction all the time on Facebook and on, on LinkedIn and billboards, whatever. And I would think, who are the people behind this company and how are they doing so well? So it's full circle to be talking to you and, and, and on the Traction podcast. Man, it's, it's one and a half people and a lot of, a lot of volunteers. So, <laughs> so kudos to the community for bringing us to where we are today. So I'm, I'm super interested in your journey. Give us your backstory. What led you to helping brands and executives create influence and build communities? Not a lot of t- people talk about communities, right? But I'm a firm believer that with third-party cooking going away, third-party data going away, and every marketing channel eventually getting saturated. You start get, seeing the same SDR emails, the same LinkedIn messages. It costs twice as much to squeeze the same ROI. Your community is your biggest moat going into the future. So what led you to that? Because I don't end up talking to a lot of people who know anything about community as a moat, as a marketing channel. It's a great question. And uh, I'll give you my my entrepreneur backstory in 30 seconds. And it leads into this community uh, conversation. So lifelong entrepreneur, uh, could never hold down a real job, started uh, an internet business when I was in college and uh, figured out that I wasn't good at a lot of stuff, but I was good at making money on the internet. And my first business there in college was an online publication. And I was basically... Uh, almost crowdsourcing content. I had a bunch of writers in my uh, college English department that were making content and I was putting it online. This is way before WordPress. So I had to hack together like a content management system of my own. And fast forward about six months, I was trying to figure out ways to build audience. How do I... I have no money. I have very little expertise. How do I actually go ahead? This is There's no Facebook. There's no TikTok. Where do I find big groups of people? And what I realized was that the big audiences were living on the big portals back in the day. It was MSN, AOL, Yahoo. That's where billions of, of traffic impressions were going every single month. And so back in the day, I'd call that the audience. And I had to figure out an audience arbitrage. How do I tap into these communities that exist 
and pull them in and, and get my way in. And so what I did in that case, here I was as a, I think I was 18 or 19 years old. I started syndicating content. I did some deals, took a long time. I did a whole podcast on this, but I actually managed to, to wedge myself in and provide content to these huge websites and basically leak off their community and build my own community. And that's how I built my first company. And I've kind of been doing it ever since. I did that with my first company. Then when I launched Influicity a few years later, it was all about um, working with influencers and helping brands tap into the influencer community on YouTube and Instagram. Um, and now with Demand Scope, we're doing the same thing for entrepreneurs and small businesses. So I would say that community for me has been a necessity because uh, I never had money. I always bootstrapped. Um, I was never able to buy a big audience. And so community for, uh, for me just means you are using people and putting out great value and great content to get them to pay attention to you and then hopefully building a bond over time. Fantastic. I love it. And you know, um, I read this Goldman Sachs article that said uh, the creator economy is 350 billion and, and going to grow to 700 billion. And there's a lot of opportunity in that. The other thing is we're in the age of micro influencers that 10 to a hundred thousand plus followers, people are, they're, they're able to build better connections with audiences than brands alone. So I want to dive into this first question here is audiences versus communities. What's the difference? Because there's so many micro-influencers, millions of micro-influencers, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, right? YouTube have given people the ability to go and create this audience, create this influence. But that's not really a community, right? If you have an audience. So what is, what is the difference? When does it, the rubber hit the road for a community? I think an audience is a one-way conversation and a community is a two-way conversation. So the way I think about it, an audience, you know, if you were a movie star back in 1978, you had an audience and you had an access to an audience through the big screen and through the little screen that you could speak to tens of millions of people, but they couldn't talk back to you. So it was a one-way conversation. And were you building a community? Well, not really. You were never going to see those people or shake their hands or you know have dinner with them. But you were building an audience in that case. Now, because of the two trends that you just mentioned, the, the community building, but also because of this micro-influencer trend, which I think is actually the, the most exciting part of the creator economy today, the fact that you can build a really great call it an audience, but really it's a community of let's say 30,000 people on one of these platforms or a podcast or an email list. It's a two-way conversation. They expect you, if they ask a question, to give them an answer. If they comment on your post, to comment back to them. So the big differentiator I see is that it's a, it's a conversation where you are talking to many people, they are talking to you, uh, as opposed to just, I'm going to stand on a stage and shout at you, but you have no voice. Definitely. Definitely. And that's, that's the way I look at it. Right. Like, and, and if you look at history or, or, you know, uh, generations, I mean, uh, it all starts with an audience. You bring that audience together it becomes a community. The community solves a big world changing or the community creates impact basically. And it becomes a movement 
And then that movement has unwavering faith in its, its purpose and it becomes a religion or a cult. Maybe is Jesus Christ or, or Gandhi or, or Martin Luther King, or maybe it's Bitcoin, right? It, it all starts with an audience that comes together, that creates impact, and then just uh, has an undying faith. So I love that. Like one way versus two way is the way to think about it. Now, what I'm seeing a lot lately is... This micro influencer segment, right, has is starting to have more influence and more engagement than brands themselves, right? Like, like for the same brand, like a company brand versus an influencer within that company, the influencer will see massive engagement with their content than the brand itself. So let's dive into that. What is the best approach for somebody building from scratch, like brand audience versus creating micro-influencers from within the brand? What is the best approach? Yeah, so it's funny. A mentor said to me years ago, back when I was just starting to build Influicity, he said, John, nobody wants to follow a French fry on Twitter. And the point of that was you might have a product, you might sell French fries, but people are more interested in following the chef than the French fry. It's a humanized platform. It's a person forward platform as opposed to a product forward platform. And there are exceptions. If you're a global brand like a Nike or a Starbucks, yeah, maybe people want to follow your brand. But 99% of the time, they want to follow the people. And that's what they become attached to. And that's why you see so many smart entrepreneurs these days getting in front of the camera or the lens or the pen and actually putting themselves out there and humanizing their company. So that that's where I think, you know, uh, it makes more sense to put a person in front. In terms of, of the micro and, and the power of, I call it the splintering of influence, the reality is these days you have so much ability to niche down to what you want to see. So if I'm super interested in food, but it's not just food, I really like Italian gelato and I want to know everything there is to know about gelato. I can follow somebody on YouTube, on podcast, on TikTok that just talks about that. I don't, I have more options than just following the one dude on the food network who talks about all food. And maybe he'll talk about gelato sometimes. So drilling down and and figuring out what it is that you want to talk about, and then making that the 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 putting out at the forefront, you will find people who actually are interested in that, and uh, and that's that's where the opportunity is. Say so. It, there's definitely a splintering of influence, but it's not that there's less influence. There's actually more influence. It's just much more targeted. And what I find is uh, is that brands, though, right, especially the B two B brands they just don't get it. They don't want people in their company going and writing LinkedIn posts that drive engagement. They don't want people going and having social media presence uh, or like YouTube presence. They try to clamp down on that. They start saying things like, hey, you know, uh, this is about the company brand. You're building your own personal brand. They don't want people building personal brands, but ultimately people buy from people and what better than, you know, a small company or even even a startup having a number of influencers, micro influencers within the company sharing that content in different ways, supercharging it versus them sharing the same old blog content and the same old BS. Right. So what's your what's your take there? How do you advise companies when you when you talk to them that guys like stop doing this yesterday's marketing playbook? So it's so funny you say that. This is this really was the thesis behind Demand Scope, which is an agency I launched about six months ago. 
I, I had so many people messaging me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn. I've got, I don't know, 40 or 50,000 followers there. And I had so many people messaging me um, wanting to learn about A, how to market their product, how to build a personal brand, how to build a community, how to sell more, how to grow. And all of these were really... The answer was actually kind of the same for, for all of them. And the answer was, especially if you're in the B2B space, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a solopreneur, a consultant, a startup CEO, you really need to be creating content that tells your story both as a business and as an individual. Um, you know, any any company that says we don't want our employees to do that, certainly if if it's your company um, and you say, well, I don't want to do that, this is like there's no other way around it. People are going to relate to people and and buy from businesses where they feel some kind of personal connection. The analogy I use actually, like think back to, or it happens today even, think about car dealerships. Car, I got to do a post on this because car dealership marketing is actually the uh, the archetype for this. You always have a guy, hey, I'm Billy Bob at downtown Omaha Ford. And if you want to buy an F-150, come to me, I'm Billy Bob. And he's in the commercials, he's in the radio ads, he's on the billboards. Um, real estate agents do this, lawyers do this, personal injury lawyers. So building a personal brand and using that as a mechanism to promote your business has been done for forever. Now it is easier than ever. This was the whole thesis. So I launched DemandScope working with, with these kinds of, of, of smaller you know, entrepreneurs and startups because I was just getting questions nonstop. And, and there's a need for it. And I think the smart companies are doing it now. And the ones that wait a year or two and don't do it until then are, are going to have a, a lot of catching up to do. I think more than a lot of catching up to do by the end of next year, Google is killing third-party data, right? And <laughs> yeah. if you're starting and, and so then you're sitting on this, this heap that you can use and now you got to start building this audience. And if you don't have even a basic email subscriber list with proper engagement, say like, you know, 40, 50% plus open rates and engagement. Like if you don't have any of that going, then, you know, I would worry, I would worry because somebody with a community can come by and, and eat your lunch. So let's dive into right into that. Um, getting your community started and bringing people together. If you had to break it down by a step-by-step -step process, what would that be? So the first thing you've got to do, and, and by the way, I've got resources uh, on this on my website at johndavids.com. But the first thing I would do is figure out what your niche is and then go two levels deeper. So I would say, okay, I'm interested in travel, but really I'm interested in traveling on a budget. And actually, I'm interested in traveling on a budget in your 20s right after college. And the reason to go that deep is because the deeper you go, the easier it'll be to create content and to reach the right uh, avatar, the right person that you want to reach. And you can always widen later. But the first step is figuring out what's your niche and then sub-niche and then sub-sub-niche. The second thing to figure out is what is the platform? And you know, am I good on video? Am I good with a pen? Am I good... Um, with photos? Uh, do I create content on a regular basis? Maybe you don't even realize it, but you're actually making content all the time because you're snapping photos wherever you go and you're traveling the world. So do you have a bank of content and where should that content live? Who exactly is that content going to reach? 
And then honestly, and this is the part that that people never get past, most people, is you've got to be willing to put in the four, six, eight, 12 months of putting content out there and feeling like you're just shouting into a tin can and throwing it off the highway because nobody's responding. And I've been there. Uh, I made content on LinkedIn probably for seven months before I had a single post that got more than 100 likes. I was making content all the time. I had people actually messaging me. I actually have a DM from an old colleague of mine messaged me probably three months into my journey. And he just said, John, I'm trying to figure out what you're doing on LinkedIn. Like, why are you posting this stuff? Is everything okay? He just didn't get it. And so you've got to be willing to go through that journey of of sharpening your pencil, starting to build your brand, starting to build your message and trust the process and uh, and just have faith that, that it'll grow. But those are the first three things that I would do. I love that. I love that. You know, um, the number of times people ask me, hey, they start, they don't start with the niche, right? And the thing is travel, or let's say entrepreneurs is a very broad niche. And if you try to be everything to everyone, you're likely nothing to anyone. But the number of times people ask me, I want to build a community. Can you recommend a platform? Should I be on Facebook? Should I be on WhatsApp? Should I be on YouTube? I'm like, guys, um, if you're looking for a platform, uh, then, you know, that's that's a problem. You're starting the wrong way, right? You got to start with a niche and then you figure out like, you know, what, what your, what, what you can do well, like what's your skill. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit, right? So most of your customers and most of the people you work with, where do you get them to start? Um, right. And what kind of resources does it take? Yeah. So our, our, uh, process starts with those, uh, three things I just mentioned. So we're going to figure out what is the sub niche, sub niche or sub sub niche that we're going to be focusing on. What is the really tight, um, uh, thing that we're going to focus on? What is the best form of expression? And that's a very personal thing. So like I said, um, you know, Gary V has this old saying, document don't create. And so the idea of, is there something that you're already doing that can produce this content? Oftentimes with our clients at Demand Scope, um, there's not like we're, we're dealing very heavily, as I said, with entrepreneurs and consultants. And so it's going to be written content on LinkedIn often, and people don't have time to sit there and write content for two, three, four hours. And so that's why they work with us. But if you're going to do that, which I encourage you to try, um, you've got to take the time to write content and in terms of coming up with ideas. What I always say is go for a walk. I, I do my best thinking when I'm walking, go for a walk. Uh, with a notepad or with a recording device, you know, on your on your phone, and just think about the stories that you encounter every day in your work, in your personal life that you can tell. And I'll give you some great examples. Give me some. Give me your worst client story. What is the nightmare client that you've worked with? And if you haven't worked with them, maybe you've heard a story of somebody else working with them. You can make that up, or you can use somebody else's story. Um, what is the biggest win you've had? your first sale you ever made if you're in sales or your first big marketing campaign you ever ran if you're in marketing? What's your biggest loss? What's a store that you shop at or a company you frequent that you think teaches a lot of great lessons uh, in your niche? So those are just some some, idea Kickstarters and we have a whole ton. And then the the last thing I would think uh, I would say when, when we're onboarding clients is, what is your origin story? 
And um, I'm actually working on a, on a course right now. And I, I just finished the origin story section. So essentially, with the example I give in the course is, I say, here's the Batman origin story. I don't have it in front of me, but if you've ever seen Batman Begins or any of the Batman movies, you sort of know what the origin story is. He's a rich kid. He's spoiled. His parents are killed. Then he has a rock bottom moment. Uh, where he, you know, faces his fears and then he uh, leaves his identity. He then becomes a, a vigilante fighter. So you have this origin story. What is the version of the origin story for you? And it doesn't need to be a Batman superhero origin story, but think back to when you were a kid and wh where you are today and how did you become the person you are? And there's a formula to do that, but essentially it's the hero's journey. How do you tell your story in a compelling way? And I think those are great starting points. Fantastic. Now, you know, a lot of people can't understand going two, three levels down when picking a niche. And I'm, I want to focus here a lot because, you know, this is where it all begins, right? If you, if you don't spend enough time on your niche and your voice and, and your, and the channel uh, that is important for that niche, everything starts there because if you don't identify that, then you'll end up likely picking the wrong channel. Right. So how do you convince them? Like, Hey guys, like, you got to go too down. Like, we, is there a horror story that you, or, or a common thing you say where people, where people are just like, you know, they, they want to stay very surface level, right? They want to stay surface level. They also want to jump around. You know, people will say, well, I have so many interests. So I've, I've, I like so much stuff and it's like, yeah, so do I, but the public doesn't care about that. You've got to, have a label, at least at the beginning, you know, once you have a rabid fan base, you can grow and talk about your kids and talk about your travels. But if you want to talk about, uh, you know, if you want to build a community around uh, IT, information technology, you've got to talk about IT. Nobody wants to see the summer photos when you were in Florence. And so you've got to be able to start with something. And what I say is it's okay to wander in the wilderness at first. If I look at the first five months worth of content that I was making um, when I was trying to figure it out, it was all over the board. And so I wouldn't necessarily say that you have to get it right the first time. I would try to figure it out, but you could also stumble and change your niche 10 times and, th and then get to the point where you actually, uh, you know, f uh, f stumble on something that actually wins. Um, but don't worry about wandering in the wilderness, in the wilderness. That's fine. Definitely. So start with a bunch of ideas and get the audience, see what the feedback is and then, and then narrow it down. Yeah, how exactly. Do you, you know, you said you recommend LinkedIn a lot, written content, but how do you help them nail down the channel? Maybe somebody wants to just adamantly go on TikTok or, <laughs> or like Instagram, right? And so how do you deal with that? Or YouTube for that matter? I mean, YouTube is the most monetizable channel after all. Totally. So we love TikTok. We manage a lot of TikTok accounts at Influicity, starting to at Demand Scope. So TikTok's fantastic. Instagram's great. YouTube and YouTube Shorts. Uh, I, I would say it comes down to so there's a few obvious limitations. So one is form factor. Are you somebody who wants to be in front of the camera or wants to be making video content? And is that something that you're going to do on a regular basis? I don't care that you have some time this weekend to bang out some videos. Are you going to do this every week for the next decade? That That's my question. And so um, there definitely is a commitment. And I know a lot of creators. We've worked with thousands of creators over the years at Influicity, uh, working with brands. And it is a grind. And you're not always you know, excited to make content. So you've got to be willing to do it. I, I say that pick something that you want to do even when you really don't feel like doing it. 
Uh, not, not when you're in the mood to do it. And so I absolutely think there's huge value in Instagram, in TikTok, in YouTube. That's, that's the video slash photo form factor. Uh, and then on tick, Twitter and LinkedIn, which is more of a written form factor, that's much more about copywriting and telling stories and getting people's attention with the word. But it's very much on the person. I, I meet people who immediately when I talk to them, I say, listen, you got to be in front of the camera. So let's figure this out. Uh, it, it's a very personal thing. Quick break while I tell you about DemandScope. This is my new agency where we help you blow up your social media so you can blow up your income. DemandScope works with entrepreneurs and business owners to develop their personal brands across LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and beyond, using the power of personal brand building to drive your business forward in a big way. It's time to turn your social media feed into a customer acquisition engine. Learn more at demandscope.co. That's demandscope.co. And ultimately, the thing to think about is consistency, right? Like you nailed it here. What can you be consistent? It's a grind. And then one day it feels like, oh, it's an overnight success. Like with traction, we're now 150,000 email subscribers is nearly 50% open rate. And that's hard to do. But that didn't happen overnight. That happened over like seven years or so since 2015. And at one point, we we picked our medium as live webinars because we wanted to generate more email subscribers and, and live webinars is the best way to get email subscribers. And we were doing two a week, two live webinars a week for two years. We did that. Now we're not doing them. Uh, I'm on a sabbatical. So we're doing recorded and every other week on the podcasts and posting it to YouTube. But for two and a half, three years, we did two live webinars a week. And it felt like a grind, man. I hated it. I didn't want to do it. But I'm like, what is the outcome I'm, I'm doing? Do I want a social audience? And I'm like, you know, I've seen my, my social influence go up and down based on algorithm changes. So I really want that email. So I'm like, okay, we're going to do this webinar, live webinar. So it is, it is a grind. I, I, I completely agree. Now, at what point do you then say, let's now start turning this into community. You've got this one-way audience. They're tuning into your LinkedIn or YouTube or TikTok. Now let's start making this into a community. So you're going to be thinking about community from the beginning, just in a very simple sense. If people talk to you, if they DM you, if they comment, you want to get back to them. You want to start building those relationships. I have people who I become friendly with who have DM me over the, you know, since the very beginning and I, I know them. And, you know, now I have a hundred times more followers than I did when they started following me, but uh, I, I appreciate that they were there early and I'm still going to be connected to them. Um, in terms of actually taking it off of that platform and turning it into a webinar series, an email, a podcast, a Slack community, a Facebook, I think you have to earn the right to do that. And so in many cases, you know, I, I actually haven't even gotten that far. I've, I've thought about, you know, doing actual community, like Slack community type stuff. And I think in that case, there's got to be a real benefit to pulling people in. And what is the value that you're going to share with them? People don't need another Slack channel, another WhatsApp group to check. We're already getting pinged 15 times. We're silencing our phones. And so what is the real value that, that you're going to get? And then 
The next question to that, and I would say the one that I would kind of ask in the middle, uh, and I'm not sure if this was a part of the question or you want to talk about this later, but what is the monetization? Like how at a, at a certain point, you're going to want to monetize if you're spending a lot of time on this. I would think about that. And then that might inform where, where you go next. Definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, ultimately, if you can monetize it, that means either people buying or subscribing to your events, paying for, for directly being a part of the community or paying for some product that the community is attached to, it all falls apart, right? Like volunteer communities can only scale so far. And I've seen that with Traction. I mean, for the longest time, Traction was driving bro growth for Boast, right? We do two webinars a week, the leads would come and it would drive uh, growth and leads and brand for Boast. And, and that's how we grew the company from zero to eight figures. And when nobody knew us, we started hosting meetups and, and we'd invite big name unicorn CEOs and we'd get their brand rub. I like the word brand rub, right? These two unknown guys now get the brand rub of the CEO of Twilio or whoever. I love that. But, right. So, so that, that worked really well in, in collecting the emails, but you're right. Like you have to earn the right to get people to congregate on whatever platform the world doesn't. I mean, I unsubscribe from all the Slack platforms. I got so frustrated and even WhatsApp groups have pushed more and more to archive. So I'm not, I'm not checking it. Right. Um, now in terms of the brands though, the big brands, like I see Red Bull uh, and some of the others, they host a lot of events. What are your thoughts on that? And, and are you working with brands that, that do that? At what point you start building an audience and the events, the live events, the meetups start to make sense because it costs money. It's not free. It's not free. And we've done a lot of um, virtual events. So our clients, we we do virtual events, we do webinars, we do we bring people together remotely. And, and a big piece of that is because we've been doing it for the last three, four years, we had to contend with COVID. And so we didn't have the opportunity to do um, uh, IRL in real life events. But I would say that events are a really phenomenal uh, vehicle for building true lasting co community. So you want to be doing them if for just the longevity and the sustainability of the community. Um, they can certainly be an opportunity to monetize uh, both on the advertiser side. If of course, if you are the brand, if you are the Red Bull, then you are the advertiser and you're bringing people in and you're giving them experiential. You're letting them feel, see, taste in person. Um, you're, you're creating much more of a bond and you're probably also, and I've heard this from people that have run a events uh, over multiple years, events have a way of snowballing, especially if you're super serving the customer, they become, you know, the, if you think about the analogy of a religion, one of the facets a religion have, you know, they have rituals, they have um, sort of deities they look to, but they have in-person meetups, you know, they, they have pilgrimages, pilgrimages. So you pilgrimage to a certain uh, location and you show up somewhere and it becomes a real part of, of the meaning of that brand. So I do think if you're going to be a brand operating at that level of a Red Bull or an Apple, yes, you have to have physical events. Uh, and if you aspire to be that, I mean, you guys did it at Boast, getting an in-person meetup really is kind of the true manifestation of, yes, I want to be a part of this community. Definitely. And if you look at it, right, I mean, uh, the, the religions are some of the biggest communities. People congregate sometimes daily, sometimes weekly, right? There, there's a ritual there, but CrossFit is a yeah. great example of a, of a community that's, it's a cult and there's no shame in that. They, they have daily workouts of the day and people congregate. If you want to do that, it's painful, but you got to make those, uh, you got to make those steps. Now let's talk about growing that community and acquiring 
more, more and more sort of users or members audience for your community. What are some things that you've done uh, to drive that? That's worked really well. So I think consistently delivering value is obvious, but it's also, I think, overlooked. Uh, And I've seen people, once they build audience, they think they can call it in. They think they can, you know, let the content diminish a little bit and people don't have any patience for that. So you've got to be keeping the quality, whatever it was that you did to bring that top quality at the beginning, you've got to keep doing that consistently. And there are ways to do it and, and, you know, make the load a little bit easier, but you got to bring quality. You've got to uh, look to the advocates in your community. So you can see who's engaging with your content, who's advocating for it um, and figure out ways to maybe get them to become advocates and ambassadors for you. One way that we've done it over at Influicity, we've got a great community of marketers, obviously clients, similar strategy to what you uh, have been doing at, at Boast um, with Traction. So we have a podcast called Modern Marketing, and we will look to a lot of the clients that we have, the CMOs, the marketing executives, and we will have them on our podcast Uh, both folks that we work with, folks that we hope to work with. But really, it's a genuine interest in the expertise that you have and what you want to say. And that's why we have you on the podcast. Um, And then inevitably, that that leads to business because it leads to relationships being built and and that sort of thing. So I would say in order to build and, and get your voice further you ultimately will need to extend yourself in some way by by teaming up with others, by collaborating, by turning fans into folks that maybe help you create the content. And then it spreads outwards from there. Certainly. And any any ways to measure this? Because I find it all hard, right? Like say um, you, you figure out, you go two, three down, you figure out your niche, you figure out the problems in that niche and you start creating content for that you figure out your voice whether it's linkedin or insta and then you want to eventually turn ad, add in meetups and events but stitching it all together is very difficult because there's no one singular tool that exists and then it, it becomes a big challenge to prove roi because most companies and brands especially especially in b2b will do last touch attribution so there'll be like a salesperson called this. So it's attributed to sales, but you know what, or, or, you know, they went and downloaded a white paper. So it's attributed to marketing. It never gets attributed to community, but the reality is somebody looks at John's LinkedIn post and, you know, forwards it to another colleague, that colleague then goes and checks out John's website and then, and then goes to the website and downloads a white paper forwarded it to the buyer in the company, that buyer looks at it, download, requests a demo, and then gets called by an inbound SDR. And that gets attributed that way. Yeah. So it, how, do you, how do you manage it all, bring it all together? Uh, the, the last touch attribution mirage is a total joke. So you've got to move to a multi-touch attribution. And the example that you just gave, so in B2B, it's notorious. We did a study internally at Influicity. So we've got a few big uh, marketing channels that work. And we said, okay, let's look at all the sales we made in the last 12 months. And we have a few big marketing channels. So a couple of them would be, for example, we do twice monthly webinars. We do uh, our podcast, Modern Marketing. We do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, of course. And we said, okay, let's look at the people that have purchased from us in the last 12 months. And these are all big clients at Influicity, you know, CMO companies uh, or companies with CMOs. They're spending tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars with us. 
almost every single one, like 95% had either attended a webinar or listened to the podcast. Self-attributed said, I listened to your podcast in the last three months or whatever. Every single one of them. And so how do you then say, okay, well, this person heard a podcast three months ago, then they came to our website, then they went to uh, you know, they went to another webinar, then they talked to a salesperson, then they ghosted us for two months, and now they we just closed a deal with them. So you need to be able to look at the full funnel and say, okay, how do we actually backtrack and figure out how this person declared themselves? Like, yes, you you found us today by clicking on a link on Google, but like you heard about us seven months ago. How did that happen? Oh, well, I saw this LinkedIn post. And then I listened to the webinar and then I heard a podcast. So figuring out what that multi-touch attribution looks like is what you have to do. And then to just to, to put a bow on that, how do you actually measure ROI and say dollars spent versus revenue earned? You, you got to do some rough math. Like we don't have an exact science for that, but you can sort of say it costs roughly this to make the podcast, roughly this to do the um, webinar. And then we got this client. And what did that ROI look like? Do you then share the the sort of credit people get across different channels? Maybe it's marketing, maybe it's community. Like, like how do you do it the larger the company? Because I feel like community activities always get shoved off, right? Like uh, it's it's hard. And, and because there's not easy tooling to bring it all together. You say you look back and and I don't know how much of that is manual or what automated tools you use. So maybe some advice there. Yeah, to be honest, it, it's mostly manual just because, you know, in B2B, I guess it depends on the on the like uh, the customer value and that sort of thing. But in B2B, when you're selling sort of a $20,000 plus product, it's not like you're selling tens of thousands of them. I mean, you could spend a day or two and just kind of look at the data on, on the few hundred clients you have. Um, so we're, we're not using any fancy data. I'm sure it exists, but we're literally just plugging the data into an Excel spreadsheet and we're saying, okay, client, did they do this? Yes. Check. Did they do this? Yes. Check. And we attribute a value based on each of those things. So what, what would the cost have been? Uh, they heard a podcast. So one fraction of a podcast production that cost this, and we'll sort of plug together the, the numbers there. It's, a, it's an Excel spreadsheet. Um, but then in terms of uh, attribution, so who do you thank or who do you compensate accordingly? It, when you have a community, it's like all this stuff happens in the stew and then it comes out in the strainer. And you don't know what exactly happened in the stew, but you know that it came out in the strainer. And so the way I would think about it is you have your performance-based advertising and that's like in the in, in the investing analogy, that's like day trading, right? You spend a dollar, you make a make two dollars, great. And then you have your value investing, where I'm going to put a bunch of money in, I'm just going to leave it for five years and see what happens. But inevitably, in almost all cases, that stuff that you leave for five years is going to do way better than the daily trading that you did. And so that's how I think about community. And the attribution of it is you look at the big circle, the big stew, and you say, okay, well, you guys probably contributed to this and, we, and we've got to compensate you accordingly. I love the stew and strainer analogy. I'm going to steal that and, and use it when people do ask me. It's it's brilliant because, and, and also um, the value investing analogy, because there's some things that, you know, may not produce immediate ROI, but has long-term compounding effects and community is one of them, right? And And if you stop, the best way to tell people is just stop doing it. Maybe stop doing it for two, three months. Uh, and and see the reverse effect on that. 
Now, in terms of scaling community, what are some specific tactics you've seen work really well for your brands, your clients, yourself? Yeah, so it actually kind of uh, dovetails back to the last thing you just said. It, it really is about snowballing over time. So we, I just had a conversation before this with one of our new clients at DemandScope, an executive at a uh, you know thirty person company. So growing quickly, uh, he oversees you know a, a few million in revenue, and he was asking, "What is the ROI? Like, I'm going to build my personal brand now. What is the ROI that I'm going to see?" And I said, honestly, for the first three months. I wouldn't even think about ROI. I would think the, the what, what you're going to look at really is just consumption. And the the two C's I say is consumption and then conversion. So it's consumption for three months, five months, seven months, nine months. You're just looking at engagement metrics. Are people interested in what I'm saying? Is this post picking up? Am I getting likes? Am I getting shares? Am I getting saves? You know, you and I were talking before the mics heated up. You look, you look at a post and you say, okay, how many likes did it get? But how many impressions did it get also? How, you know, the algorithms are not stupid. And so if the algorithm is pushing out lots of impressions, it means that the platform is seeing engagement on this post, even if you're not seeing likes. People are reading this thing. And so you're looking at all those consumption metrics first. And then, you know, nine months later, you're looking to conversion. And that's where it's, can we drive them to buy our course to sign up for our email newsletter to um to you know come to our webinar to do whatever that looks like uh so consumption and then conversion and you don't to, to what you just said you don't necessarily feel it when the community is operating but oh man you turn that community off and you will feel it definitely visibility credibility and then profitability if people are asking you for immediate ROI and when i talk to to companies that ask me about community i'm like if you're looking for an immediate ROI just fire up your SDR team or fire up some other channel. You're not going to get an ROI in three, six, nine months. You got to do community because you're passionate about driving impact for this niche. And that's going to keep you going because it's a big grind, especially for smaller businesses, uh, founders who are, who are trying to do this. And, and you won't, you won't sustain if you, if you're looking for ROI in the first three, six months, I like that. Like watch, watch the engagement metrics. Are people liking it? Are people sharing it? The impressions, visibility, credibility, and then eventually you'll, you'll, you'll start making money and, and turn it off. That's, that's the perfect way turn it off and, and see what happens. Can right? I just say one thing about what you said, because you made a really good point there. The, the moat around communities, the moat being like, why doesn't everybody do this? Or wh why is this harder than it seems? You and I have this conversation and it's like, if you have a huge audience, you'll do, you'll do really well. You'll sell more, you'll meet more people. Everything is just better. And people hear that and they go, yeah, obviously. So there's no, there's no believability issue. Everyone knows that what we're saying is true. So why doesn't everybody do it? And the reason is because the moat in community building is the one year that you have to wait to see any results and people just get lost and impatient and they give up. And that's the reason that not everybody does this. And that's the reason why, uh, you know, like, like I started with brands of yesterday will be built on, we're built on what they told the world about themselves and brands of the future will be built on what the community says about them. So that is going to be a very powerful audience when you don't have when chat GPT is being used to drive every piece of content and there's no third party data allowed the the people who work the hardest, right. Will be the ones that are left standing. Like people who are looking for easy ways because then eventually, you know, like the, the, all the content looks cookie cutter. 
you can't drive ads to it because you can't rent cookies. And, and then how do you create audiences? You got to bring your authentic self and you got to do it day in, day out. And those are the folks who will be left standing. Now, how do you ensure your community sticks and sustain for the long haul? I mean, a lot of it is what we talked about, consistency and showing up day in, day out and adding value. But there are there any other things? I mean, there doesn't have to be a silver bullet. Usually there isn't any, but what are some other things? Uh, yeah. So uh, the, the two things I would say is, uh, is first of all, I would not become platform dependent. So one of the things we always say is once you have an established community audience fan base on any one of these platforms, you want to diversify platforms. So you want to try to have more than one. But then the other thing you want to do is get them off that platform as fast as you can onto an own channel. So collect an email address, collect a phone number if you have an SMS list. Um, a podcast is great, although I prefer to have some way to talk to you, not, or rather you talk to me also in two ways. So that's why I like email and phone number. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of one thing to, you know, kind of secure your connection. And the second thing in terms of content is you've got to evolve with your audience as well. You know, you're going to grow up, you're going to have more professional interests, personal interests, they're going to grow up. So you're going to need to evolve and stay current. What worked for you three years ago might actually become irrelevant today. And so it's about growing with that community, super serving them, listening to them. Hey, what do you guys want to hear about? Hey, I was talking about backpacking through Europe four years ago, but now maybe we're settling down, we're having families. So now maybe it's about traveling with kids or so growing with the community is really important. And then serving the next generation also. So the other way to look at that is, hey, I'm not going to grow with my audience, but I'm going to serve a new audience. I'm still going to be the person who talks about backpacking. But the people that have grown out of this, it's okay, because there's a whole fresh crop of people that are going to grow into this. Fantastic. I like that. Injecting new blood, being platform independent and, and adding new audience. What are some ways, the top ways your customers are monetizing their communities outside of the, the brand stuff is easy, right? You have a brand like a Red Bull or you have a B2B SaaS product, you built a community, they buy your product or it drives customer retention, referrals, all of that. But for others, I mean, like the executives you're working with at DemandScope, what are they looking to do? Like, what are, what are the ways they, they foresee monetizing? It's a great question. So they're actually in, in kind of a luxurious position. So I'll talk about them first, and then I'll talk about the, the other way around. So our clients at DemandScope are already professionals. So we have marketing consultants. Uh, I've got, we've got a guy who sells mer uh, you know, branded merchandise, like branded water bottles. I've got a guy that works on animal welfare. Uh, we have a, a very sort of well-known tech executive uh, who we're now working with. And so they already have professions and businesses, or they are executives at other businesses. And so for them, it's really about building a, a brand reputation, a, a brand profile so that they can win more business, attract more customers, maybe you know get more speaking gigs, get keynote speeches at conferences, attract investors. A lot of startup CEOs want to get more investors. Hey, if you're a very, very well-known startup CEO and you're kind of huge on Twitter, you're going to get a meeting that somebody else might not be able to get. So in their case, it's really about building a profile around the profession they already have and driving more business. And we see this 
you know, co- constantly. One of our clients uh, who actually does online education, um, he, we had like three weeks after we started posting content for him, he got a DM and he made a $3,400 sale. This was kind of fluke, but it worked um, because someone saw that piece of content and they wanted to work with him. So that's kind of one way that we're doing it. The, the other way is let's say you don't necessarily have a job yet, or you, you haven't started your side hustle, but you want to in the future, now's a good time to start building a brand and figuring out, let me put content out there and see what kind of audience comes in. And then once that audience comes in, what problems can I solve for them? So you can go the other way too. You can build an audience and plug a product in after, or you can have a product and build an audience to drive more growth to that product. Certainly. I love that. And I, I have a few friends that are building companies that enable influencers create products, DTC products and whatnot. And they're, they're making a killing help monetize your influence, right? Just, Absolutely. Just That's products. huge. That's huge. So, uh, you know, as we close this off, what's the most common reason why you see communities fail? You know, it, it almost, almost entirely comes down to the community leader um, either giving up, abandoning it, not listening to the audience, not growing, uh, not not putting the time in to grow, um, and not looking around corners. You know, another sort of I alluded to this before, but if you're going to be platform dependent and that platform changes an algorithm, I early in my career when I just started Influicity, we had a big YouTuber that we worked with. She was really really well known in the beauty and fashion space, and she was on YouTube making videos every week. And then YouTube changed their algorithm and all of a sudden she wasn't getting the views she was getting. And then she started losing subscribers. And at a certain point she said, screw this, I'm done. And she just left, she left the game. And she had this really rabid fan base. I think to myself, like if she was, we don't talk anymore, but if she was around today, if we were friends today and she still had that channel, my goodness, what, what would that be worth today? You know, in terms of, of uh, about both monetization and also just opportunities for her in life. So I really think it comes down to the community leaders um, and being able to look, you know, look around the band, see what what's coming next and keep their community alive. Definitely. You got to stay on top of things and also be platform dependent. You know, Nas Daily, he's got 60 million followers across platforms. Uh, Nasir Yassin, one of the top YouTubers. And um, he had a Facebook community with 20 million subscribers. And what he said was that the community is virtually dead. Some algorithm changes and he's seeing like point sub point sub 1% engagement on it. And so he's moving everything to email and WhatsApp and in-person events and, and, and online events. And, and so, you know, you, you build an audience, but you're building on somebody's platform. You're actually renting an audience. You don't own that. And it's dependent on on when they want to change it and how that impacts you. And if you don't have the resources or wherewithal to cope with it, then you might just give up and and move on. So that's that's great advice. What are your don't key build metrics? a skyscraper on borrowed land? I love that. Don't build skyscraper. Don't don't build skyscrapers on borrowed land. Although we tend to do that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the key metrics for community success. Um, well, I would say the key metrics, first of all, the key individual metrics are, are you a patient and persistent person? And will you have the time and the, and the, um, 
foresight to, to be doing this over the long term. You know, the key metrics really for the success of the community um, at the at first, I would look at consumption. So are people engaged and becoming more engaged over time? And are we able to super serve them? And then over time conversion, and depending on what it is that you are selling or monetizing or trying to get out of it, is the output greater than the input? And And hopefully, if you're doing it right, the output will be much, much, much greater than the input. Um, and again, that, that can come down to dollars. That can come down to how many email addresses are you getting? How many donations are you getting to your charity? So I, I, I look at it like that. Is a, that is a fantastic way to look at it. But the first metric to watch is engagement. You can't expect returns if nobody's engaged and you got to work on fixing that. Any tools, like what are your favorite tools to manage uh, manage community? Good question. So on LinkedIn, there's a tool that I use um, called Inlytics. It's like a super small, I don't, I don't know if it's one guy that owns this app. I kind of have email conversations with somebody. So I think it's like a just a dude in a garage. Um, Inlytics is great for, for LinkedIn um, content management. Um, the, so LinkedIn in particular doesn't have really, really deep analytics. The you know, the tool that has the best analytics, I would say, as a platform is YouTube. Um, YouTube is phenomenal. The YouTube creators that I know know so much about their audience. Instagram's also getting up there. TikTok is is building their creator tools as well. Um, and of course, email. The worst, I don't know about you, man, but the worst is podcast. Like I have a podcast. I think it does pretty well. Uh, we were in the charts, but like I just sit and talk and I have no freaking clue when people are listening, dropping, what do they like, what they don't like. It's like a big black box. The best, the best is email. The worst is podcast. I completely, completely agree. I think if you can bring email level of analytics, right. Um, to podcasts and everything else, that would be great. Right. Like opens clicks, geo, um, conversions, all of that. If you can, if you can just drive that, I think, I think there's a big company idea sitting at the intersection of multi-touch attribution and multi-platform analytics for creators. It's a massive industry. <laughs> I totally agree. And, and because the, the definition of creator and the number of creators is growing, I mean, think about it. Every entrepreneur, every CEO, every consultant, you know, in addition to all the normal creators we think of, I think those tools are going to become more and more essential every day. Certainly. Now, what do you see the future of community looking like? Will it change? What will change? And, and what is timeless? I think community as a category is going to be more and more important over time. And the reason I say that is because what I mentioned earlier, the idea of this splintering of influence, you need to be in front of the person you're talking to and you need to be in front of them in a very meaningful way. And the only way to do that is through community in some way, shape or form. As the world uh, becomes more splintered and as we all get into the niches and our own little circles and bubbles of our lives, uh, brands entrepreneurs, anybody who wants to speak to people are going to need to build communities much more today than they were before. And uh, one more thing I'll say on that, I think about it like I use the term liquidity in communities. So we have a lot of liquidity on both the person that are making the community and the people that are that are looking at that community. It's easier today than it was 10 years ago because of all the tools that, we were, that we've gone over, all the platforms, the Slack, the WhatsApp, the email, the podcast, all these exist. And so building communities is easier today and people expect it. Definitely. And if you had to do some things 
over again or build a community over again. We're probably doing it every week for new customers. What would be some of the things you would change? I would take only my absolute best performing posts and just post those. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, what would I do differently? So I would have experimented uh, earlier and we're doing this for a lot of our clients now. We're not afraid to try different things, short form, long form. Um, you know, Maybe you are someone who needs to be on video. Maybe we need to talk about something else. Maybe we need to be telling more personal stories. So experimentation early on, I think is really important because that will inform like before you have a big audience before you've figured out what it is they want to hear your best bet your best course of action is just to do a whole bunch of different stuff as quickly as you can not unlike building a startup right experiment fast fail fast so you figure out what works i would do the same thing with your community certainly and any parting advice um, as we go off air here check out demandscope.co and uh and check out johndavids.com specifically because I've got a whole bunch of courses, free stuff. It's all free. Go to my learning section. I talk about community. I talk about social. I talk about personal brands. Uh, I give out as much information as I can because I I want people to at least give it a shot. And if you actually do it and you get to the point where, where you or, or I am, you'll realize how, how great it is, not just financially, but you get to meet a lot of great people. You get a lot of cool opportunities and it's well worth it. John's content is phenomenal. J-O-N-D-A-V-I-D-S on LinkedIn. And, you know, I had the good fortune of being on your podcast recently and you made a post about it on LinkedIn and it's got over 200,000 views and impressions. And, you know, I was, I was surprised when I was getting messages while traveling, your content is first rate. And I love the way you create your LinkedIn posts. It, 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 you know, uh, there's so much content out there, right? In your feeds, it's like driving on a highway at hundred miles an hour or like 80 or 90 miles an hour. What hits you in the face? What's that billboard that hits you in the face? And you're like, you know what? I'm going to keep that in mind. When I scroll through my feed, every time I see a post from you, the, the, the thumbnail or, or the, or the banner image just like hits me in the face. So great work, man. Yeah, it, I, I so appreciate sure, that. I so appreciate that, man. At the time of this taping, 224,788 impressions on Lloyd Lobo's story. So go, go check it out on my LinkedIn feed and listen to the podcast also on my podcast, Making It with John Davids. Lloyd's episode was fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us. And folks, like just check out John's uh, posts and, and the images he uses and try to replicate that for yourself. It's like, this creates <laughs> all. I'm like, okay, I got to go and click on this. Thank you so much, man. Wishing you great success, love and peace. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lloyd. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a rating or a review on Apple and Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps other people find the show and it lets us know that we're doing something right. We'll talk to you guys next time.